Hopey, I'm putting you on the spot this week. We're going to start with trivia. Okay. Everybody likes trivia, right? Who doesn't? I can't wait to go to a trivia night again when I'm allowed to leave my house and go see people. Boy, let's talk about that for just half a second, eh? One year, one year into this mess, and it all we've talked about it before. March the 11th, 2020, we had just finished broadcasting a game in Guelph. Rangers, Storm, Kitchener wins 6-5. Greg Morales has six points. Yep. And then the world, the world literally came to a stop. I mean, I guess it's still revolving, but everything happening within this big orb is done and has been for Crazy. a year. It's Crazy, nuts. eh? A full year. So the, the, only, that. the only prize for this uh, particular trivia game is my undying uh, admiration. If you can I thought it. I already had that. No, you're working on it. Oh, okay. it's, a, it's a long road, pal. You might Fair. be you might be making the turn onto that road. Okay. Uh, who are the highest scoring brothers in the national hockey league that would be the gretzky brothers (laughs) you would think so wouldn't you yes the problem with that is that those darn gretzky brothers were only two there was one family that sent six kids to the national hockey league the sutters the the sutters that's right so the brothers are of course, Wayne and Brent. And, and in fact, they held the title for a while because the Sutters hadn't all finished playing yet. Playing. But yeah, uh, but Brent had one goal and three assists for his career. And that was enough to put the Gretzkys in second place all time. Thanks uh, to Wayne's 2,857 points. Just crazy. Is that good? The Sutters. <laughs> is that good? The Sutters had just over 2,900 points points and then a bunch of other duos the stasnys peter and anton yeah uh just over 2100 points as a duo the sedine twins cement their status as among the league's best uh just over 2100 points as well and then Henri and maurice the rocket and the pocket, and the rocket, pocket rocket richard those are your top five i i brought it up of course because people tend to default to the gretzkys as they should and of course, in the past week, since we last had one of these podcasts, Wally, I'm going to say the world's greatest hockey dad has passed away. I'm just surprised you had that much time in your day today to go back and do some math. <laughs> the funny thing is, this this popped into my head in on the weekend in listening to Wayne's eulogy of his. And yes. I'm like, this is going to be a nice little piece of trivia for for the. Uh, for the podcast. And in fact, I thought that the answer was the one you gave. I thought for sure, if Brent just got a point somewhere and I'm pretty sure he did, yeah, that would make the Gretzky's the highest, but no, the Sutters are in there. 2,936 points. I tweeted it out, but I'll say it again. As much as Walter gave to the game through obviously Wayne I, and through the grassroots um, in Brantford and across Ontario and across Canada that Walter did, I think his, greatest legacy will be how many people in the last week and a half or so have said, Oh, Walter, I met him blank. Oh, I have a Walter story. Everyone, it seems like had a Walter story because he would spend countless hours in rinks across Ontario and across Canada. And no matter which rink he went into, everyone there knew who he was. There's Walter Gretzky. Walter Gretzky's here. I saw it 
my games, going to watch games at my brother's games, Walter Gretzky walked into an arena and everyone wanted a picture and everyone wanted to have a conversation. And Walter made sure everybody that wanted to have a conversation and everybody that wanted to take a picture got what they wanted. He was a man of the people, a man of the game and gave so much back to, I know it's overset, but the fabric of our country, really, and the fabric of the game in our country. He's just, it, uh, yeah, it sucked. I'm not going to lie. You know, it, uh, he, everybody had a Walter story. And I think that is his greatest legacy that will live on more so than obviously Wayne. It's you said it so well when you talked about Walter making time for everybody, right? And the fact that he made that time without any air about him whatsoever, as in, I know I'm the world's greatest hockey dad. Like he was just, he was just Walter. That was, it was that simple. My very first radio job was in Brant Ford, Ontario. I did part-time overnight weekends at CKPC AM radio in, they had, they made us say Brant Ford. The owner was very strange, man. Anyway, uh, and I always thought it was pretty cool, though. If I'm going somewhere, I'm going to go into the city where Wayne Gretzky was born. Also, along with the stories that most of us seem to have, there are pictures, countless pictures, and they were all over social media after we learned of Walter's passing. I saw your picture. What's your Walter story? That was just at a Siskins uh, Caledonia Corvair game during the Sutherland Cup. Um, but I had met him previous at my games, like in Brantford tournaments when my brother was playing AAA, he was always at the games and my parents would always take me over and introduce me, you know, as a young kid. And, um, he always had time and I just couldn't believe that this guy was sitting there with like a, literally like a lineup of people behind us in the warm room, waiting just to shake his hand and get a picture because that is the father of the greatest hockey player to ever live. Not named Steve Eiserman. Um, <laughs> I joke. Uh, but no, it's, uh, my, <laughs> I don't really have a Walter story other than getting to meet him a few times. My favorite Walter story though, I heard happened to a friend of a friend, if you will. Um, They were, this is just a couple of years ago, probably five, maybe five, seven years ago. uh, They were playing a men's league game in Brantford and uh, they were in the dressing room after having a couple uh, Coca-Cola's. And of course they left their sticks outside of the room lined up. Well, Walter had a habit of making sure that no one's sticks was left at the rink. So he would, he picked up a bunch of hockey sticks, threw them in the back of his truck. Cause that's where he kept some sticks in case anybody needed a hockey stick during the game. So they come out of the room and this guy's sticks are gone. So he goes up to the arena attendant, you know, this is a brand new one piece, $250. And he goes up to the arena attendant and goes, someone stole my stick. Do you have cameras? And the arena attendant goes, ah, that's just Walter. Here, here's his home address. Go and tell him what stick it is. He'll have it in his truck. So they drive over to the to the Gretzky household, and um, Walter's wife answers the door, and they say, "Oh, excuse me, is Walter here? I think he picked up, you know, our sticks at the rink." And she goes, "Oh, that sounds like Wally. He's actually at a speaking engagement right now. Here's the address of that." So they go over to the speaking engagement, interrupt Come Walter on. after talk, not during his engagement, but he's there okay. like interacting with people. They go over and say, excuse me, Mr. Gretzky, I believe you might have taken my stick from the arena. And he goes, oh, yeah, come on out. And he opens the back of his truck, and there's like a 100 sticks in there. Have your pick, boys. That was a, that was a story that I'm sure has been 
maybe exaggerated. Maybe some of the details aren't as correct as they first were, but just uh, one of the stories of the access that Walter gave people around Brantford to him and his family. Everyone knows the address of the Gretzky household. It's not like it's secret. You just have to Google Gretzky family household. It pops up on Google maps. It's that simple and not much of a landmark in that city. But I think that story alone just shows the kind of guy that Walter was and um, the family that the Gretzky's are around Bradford. They just come on in and name me another guy, another person, pardon me, that has a parking spot at any arena designated to them only. You go to the Brantford arena, there is a parking spot right out front that says Lord Mayor, Mr. Walter Gretzky, and has his picture on it. That is his parking spot. The guy, like, why? <laughs> but that's how big he was. I'm going to I'm going to come back to that home address in in just a sec. The first time I got to meet Walter was at uh, a Brantford Sports Award banquet one night that I had the privilege of being the MC for and attended with Mike Torquia, my former broadcast partner on Kitchener Rangers broadcasts on Rogers TV and of course a former Ranger and former everybody else who will at some point be a guest on this podcast by the way. Anyway, we we met him for the first time uh that night and then Several years later, the Memorial Cup was being hosted in Kitchener, and I'm I'm still pretty young in in the in the game here. Like I'm I'm not in the league that long. I'm not long enough to have any airs about me. That's for sure. And I was I was at I was at the rink during the day, uh, well before a game. There was some practicing going on and whatnot. But anyway, and, and Walter was in the rink, and I was there meeting with the the TV crew. And our producer sees him. He's like, we got we to gotta make sure Walter's on the broadcast tonight. Go, go line up an interview. I'm like, I'm not just going to walk up to Walter Gretzky. And no, no, he's, he's a great guy. Anyway, of course, he was a great guy. I didn't know this. I was kind of intimidated. But I, I go and I talk to him. So and I don't want to interrupt him. He's just watching some hockey, right? Yeah. Anyway, he obviously makes the time of day for me. And we arrange then. He's like, well, before the game, I have to do this. And first intermission, I have to do that. But you find me second intermission. I'll be right here. And then we can do the interview. And sure as the day is long, we went to where Wally said he would be by that second intermission. And he he gave us the interview. It was, to me, it still is rather incredible. But, you know, here's here's what I think might be the most incredible thing of all. And it's going to come back to what you said about the family address. So on the weekend this past weekend watching Wayne's eulogy and, and then I hate to say it, but, but the COVID conspiracy mind started to do the math and like asking myself, hang on a second here. How can, how can Walter Gretzky have, have died overnight Thursday into Friday? There's already a funeral two days later and Wayne is speaking live at the, like this just, I know, I mean, I know he's Wayne Gretzky, but are we making exceptions? And I get it too. It's a, you know, close family member your father dies i'm sure there's some sort of anyway i'm going through all these scenarios in my head Mm -hmm. but then you listen to wayne talk about the previous 21 days and how difficult they've been that starts to sink in hang on a second he didn't just fly in for the funeral he's been in brantford or in the vicinity for three weeks his father was in such a state of ill health that they knew the end was near Mm -hmm. and what did you hear about it Nothing. nothing, nothing. That's the, re- I believe that's the respect shown this family. Wayne Gretzky, arguably the most recognizable hockey player on the planet can come back home 
to Brantford and nobody is going to make a media circus out of it. Come on. That's pretty incredible. And I think that's respect. A hundred percent. And for all those people wondering how he got into the country and if he had to quarantine, let me, let me in on, or let me let you in on a little secret. Wayne does what he wants in this country. (laughs) 2,857 points in the national hockey league was the GM behind team Canada's Olympic uh, hopes. This guy, it doesn't matter. It's Wayne Gretzky. Like, Find me a bar owner that made him pay for a beer in the last what, 20 years or a meal. <laughs> Come on. He just does what he wants. Get over it. Uh, it's pretty incredible. Speaking of. Oh, oh he's I reaching for it. it. What did you break? The Memorial Cup? Well, that it's happened. Not, yeah, no, I didn't break it. It's been like that. On my desk here in my office. Nice little Wayne Gretzky bobblehead. <laughs> Solid. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. The head pops off. But... <laughs> That's not going to get you much on eBay, pal. No. Oh, you think I'm selling that? It's got the Team Canada emblem there when he was GM. It always reminds me of the, uh, I'm sure this movie's been seen on the bus by you a couple times, but the Dumb and Dumber scene. You oh, know? God. Our pets' heads are falling off. Anyway. It's the only way I would have ever ended up seeing Dumb and Dumber is Yeah. It's bus a great trip. movie. Maybe the greatest movie ever made. Uh, um, come on. I just actually rewatched Slapshot in my pandemic life. Now that's a great movie. Yeah, it's a fantastic movie. Um, somebody who won't be watching Slapshot or Dumb and Dumber on a plane ride anymore, Jeff Ward. So there are Rangers some head coach. OHL ties, obviously, yeah. four years with the Kitchener Rangers, uh, during which he had a player on his team by the name of Joe Birch, who just happens to be the chief operating officer of the Kitchener Rangers now. Then he spent a year in Guelph. And one of his assistant coaches was a guy by the name of Mike Parson, ah, previous guest on this podcast. And I think somebody, Chris, that you might know a little bit in a familial sense. Yes. If you haven't <laughs> caught that podcast, make sure to go back and watch it. It's a doozy. Um, I actually, funny connection with Jeff Ward. He would have no idea who I was just for the record. Um, but I was working uh, at a hockey school in Guelph. My uncle obviously got me the hookup, uh, Can-Am slash stars. Um, and I was a uh, basically just a puck wrangler, or as they called it, a goaltending coach. Um, <laughs> no, I was not coaching anyone. But these were these were young kids, and they brought out people. Matter of fact, Dale Hunter showed up. He was one of the uh, all stars that they brought out. You know um, what? We should find a way to get Dale Hunter's name in every podcast until he comes on. Hey, Dale, I can do that. Yeah, we're uh, we're waiting for your call back. Don't actually, yeah. we haven't called him yet. We're going to get you on this podcast, Dale. It's happening. It was, he was playing for Washington at the time, me being a Red Wings supporter. I believe the Wings beat out Washington at some point, or they lost and the Wings moved on or whatever. Anyway, I made sure to go up to him and let him know that my Red Wings were better than the Capitals. Little did I know how terrifying Dale Hunter was back then, or I would not have said a word. Um, But anyway, Jeff Ward is one of the the coaches during that hockey school. And we were often um, sat across from one another in the locker room lacing up our skates and putting on our sweatsuits and stuff. And I just remember him looking absolutely terrifying. And I didn't say two words to him. That's my Jeff Ward connection. Well, it's interesting that you talk about him looking absolutely terrifying because it ties into the story that I wanted to share about Jeff Ward, but the, the career arc is pretty damn interesting too. When you think about it, like he was a teacher at an elementary school in Kitchener. Like that's where he was working before getting into coaching. He, does a year with the University of Waterloo Warriors, a program that's headed right now by uh, Brian Burke, who is a guy that just does great work, I think, with the hockey club, but moved his 
way up through the ranks, as we mentioned, four years with Kitchener, a year with Guelph. Apparently, legend has it, and you talk about how terrifying Jeff Ward is or was. The guy it seemed even, like it. Well, and when you look at him now, still, uh. even at, at his age, I mean, I shouldn't talk, but the guy is like, he's a machine. He's very fit. Fitness has always been an important part of his life. Jeff Ward's idea of carb loading after a game, and we've seen the players do it, Popey. They get mm-hmm. their pasta and their meals on the bus and off they go. It was a little bit different for Jeff because he would eat baked potatoes, just like the potato. So he would take the, he'd get two potatoes wrapped up in tinfoil and open them up and chop down the potatoes. That was his way of carb loading after a, after a game. I know it's an unpopular opinion, but I'm not a big fan of baked potatoes. You know what? Why? I I don't know how unpopular that is because that makes two of us. Yeah. I, mean, I don't. I don't mind the good old fashioned spud. Like, come on, we're in Canada, yeah. I and mean, heck, we we worked with Don Cameron for a while. We have to Fair. find some way to like the potato. But the baked potato may be the weakest of all potato creations. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of mashed or baked. If you're going to make a potato, just give it to me in a French fry or a potato chip. So obviously, I like the deep fried stuff, which okay. goes to show you why I'm the size I am. Mashed potatoes are the best. What is well, the they're not? With you? That's they the are. thing. They're not. No, okay. take away the take away the gravy. Or the butter, or whatever else you put on it, they're terrible. Like you can't eat them; you'll end up like gagging. Just mashed potatoes without the gravy? No, they're terrible. Speaking of French fries, because you brought it up, and then we'll get to what we think is going on with the Ontario Hockey League, which I don't know if anybody really knows. But when you talk about French fries, it makes me think of Owen Sound. We all know, or you and I have documented, following in the footsteps of Don Cameron. We believe the best fries in the league to be the fries served at the Bayshore. We traditionally get a bucket of them before we do a broadcast and eat them during the broadcast. So it just so happened that I had Ian Body, who is the mayor of Owen Sound, on my radio show the other week. Because, oh, really? Yeah, because Owen Sound has started a campaign to uh, call, they call themselves the work from home capital of Canada. And they're encouraging people that are sick of the city life to come live and work from Owen Sound because, you know, the pandemic's changed everything. So I, I ha- I'm having him on the air. He's a great guy. We're having a nice little chat. And I said, I don't know if you know this, Mayor Body, but I also happen to be the play-by-play voice for the Kitchener Rangers on this radio station. He says, yes, I did know that. I said, well, maybe we could, uh, you know, make a little wager sometime the next time we're up in Owen Sound and we could, we could wager a, a bucket of fries from the game because they're the best fries in the league. He says, well, you know, Mike, we have a number of fine craft breweries here now too. So I'm like, Okay, if that's how you roll up there in Gray County, I'm in. I thought it was all old Vienna up in Gray County. But, hey, if he wants to make a bet, I want in on the French fries. I can help supply some of the Coors Lighter Canadian, but or some Creamore, not sure. far, not right. far from one sound. Um, yeah, we we'll can, have uh, to, we, but the fries have to be involved. I'm sorry. We'll have to make a little tour though. Cause I haven't been that way in a while to find it. We missed a whole season of traveling up to the Bay shore to check out these craft breweries. I'm challenging the mayor on this. I'm sorry. There are no good craft breweries in on sound. Okay, okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. There's, yeah. I, I can say this cause my family uh, lives in on sound and I'm sorry for everybody from on sound, but we always <laughs> joke with my cousin who was born there that, uh, uh, you know, on sound, you either marry your cousin or you smell like fish. It's one or the other. It's one or the other. This portion, beautiful spot, though. I really do like going there. The OHL Stories podcast is brought to you by Chris Pope. Uh, you can reach him <laughs> on Twitter at underscore Chris Pope. I'm at Farwell underscore 
OHL. Uh, tweet us anytime. Real quick, uh, we do. The, I do the coffee reviews uh, half-hearted, jokingly, on the road to promote our broadcast, but they do have a really good coffee shop up there. I can't remember the name of it, and I'm really something sorry. About, something yeah, about a frog or a frog toad. Or a or toad. That's exactly yeah. what I was just going to yeah. say. It's something about yeah. a frog Check, or a toad. Fantastic coffee. <laughs> fantastic coffee. So I'll give them that. And the Chi-Chi Mon's nice. They have the lights in the winter. It's a great spot. It's a great spot. Um, speaking of, are we ever going to... Hang on. The Chi-Chi Mon, that goes from Tobermory. What's it doing down in, in Owen yeah. Sound? It's always an on sound. I shouldn't say it's always an on sound, but yeah, it, that's where it ports and on sound. I'll be ding dang. I only yeah. ever knew it leaving from Tobermory going over to Manitoulin Island. Farwell and Pope podcast, OHL stories. That's where you learn about the Chichi Mon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we try to keep up with the Ontario Hockey League too. Uh, so I thought quick, an announcement was coming out today. I really did. Graham Clark, Ottawa 67s. Mm-hmm. Uh, signing his entry-level deal with the New Jersey Devils. So congratulations to that young man. I'm with you, Popey. I thought that we would hear, we are recording this on Thursday, March the 11th. I would have mm-hmm. thought that by the end of this week, so maybe, you know, Friday the 12th is still uh, hours this, away. This preamble might be completely useless in 12 hours or 24 hours time. It's interesting that we now have Ontario's Minister of Sport, Lisa McLeod, weighing in, talking, like she sounds confident she sounds to me almost as though she knows something that she's not telling the rest of it the rest of us but it sounds like she's confident games can be played money's going to be required but she did not say that the government would not be providing that financial support so okay contact would be allowed of course so I'm of the mind that really this is just a matter of dotting some I's and crossing some T's. And what I believe is is going to happen in all of this is that there's a deal, if not consummated already, very close. But the instructions have been given to the clubs as to what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden it's going to be go time and we're going to go. But players are already coming back. They're doing their quarantining. They're doing whatever needs to be done. And it's going to be a real short on-ramp into a 20-ish game season. I don't know if we're that close with players coming back quite yet because I I think that there's still time for them to be wherever they are playing to come back and quarantine before the season starts. But I do think the league and the government have some sort of deal. And now the league has notified the teams slash cities that they're going to be playing in to get their ducks in a row immediately and get back to them when it's done. And then that announcement can come out because there's a lot of logistical things, but it wouldn't it be very much like this league in this province to let a good news story like this come out at Friday at 4 PM. <laughs> well, it'd be, yeah, you're right. Actually, both the government and the league could be accused of uh, missing the boat when it comes for the best bang for their promotional buck. I'm just, I'm just looking at the calendar on my phone here. Yes. So the league likes to, Traditionally, it will start on a Thursday, right? And the first two Thursdays in April are the first and then the eighth. So I'm just, I'm going to throw it out there right now and put April 8th as a date to circle on your calendar for a beginning to the OHL season, which would be four weeks from today. I, uh, I'll go along with you there. I think that's a perfect date to do it. Half the games in April, half the games in May, and then playoffs in June, cap it, and see you in September. Cap cap what? Is there going to be a Memorial Cup? Because this is the no. question I've been asking myself. You don't think so. Why? See, so do they announce the cancellation of the Memorial Cup at the same time they announce the start of the OHL season? No. Like- I don't think they'll announce it until someone asks. Still, well, I, 
I don't know. Maybe there is because there's a lot of sponsorship money there, man. And the money that it will make people do crazy things. And I think there's a lot of money wrapped up in that Memorial Cup one way or another, broadcast rights, sponsorship rights, everything. So I, maybe there is. Maybe they're going to try to come up with a way to do it. I don't know how. Um, well, I know how. You'd have to just fly in two teams. Maybe it's not that crazy. If, if you think about it, you're really only flying in two teams, get them to quarantine or rapid testing, and you could have your Memorial Cup because you're already going to do a bubble-type city um, in the Ontario Hockey League anyway if it's going to work. So maybe there is a Memorial cup in Ontario. Uh, Oshawa wouldn't get it. Um, but no harm, no harm, no foul, because you're not going to make as much money during the pandemic for Memorial cups. There's not going to be fans coming and, and supporting your community. So maybe there is a Memorial cup. You never know. Well, and if you want to get really crazy because Ontario is the host this year, uh, the, the plan at last check from the provincial government in Ontario is that everybody who wishes to be vaccinated will be vaccinated by the beginning of summer, which is right around the time. I mean, that, that, that's a game changer in all of this, right? I'm just putting that out there. That's a game changer in all of this. I'm not saying we're going to put 10,000 people into an arena to watch a hockey game. I'm just saying it could eliminate some of the barriers of getting teams from one place to another to play some kind of championship tournament. Uh, yeah, it could eliminate those barriers, but it's not going to be Memorial Cup with a full stadium or I pro- oh, gosh, I'm going to no, no. say it with fans even in attendance. Nope, I agree with that. that June deadline ain't happening. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> wow. <Well, okay, laughs> Zero Mr. chance. I'm the pessimist in this yeah. relationship. Come on. Yeah, yeah, I'm a realist and that ain't happening. Um, but the majority, I shouldn't say the majority, a lot of the people at the Memorial Cup celebrations are um family and friends of the players coming into Ontario from those other leagues and you're just not going to have that it's not safe and I don't think it's really what the league wants really you want to do it as safe as possible get it over with done move on see in September and that's where you can really concentrate on maybe getting some fans into a building showing proof of vaccination and so on and so forth but keep in mind just because you're vaccinated doesn't mean you can't get it it just means you're not going to become severely and deadly ill from it you can still get the the virus even though you're vaccinated that's a whole other story anyway we have a guest Okay, uh, and and just be, before we get to this guest, who's uh, been one of my favorites since I first got into this league, uh, I've been I've been following the stuff that she has written, and I still do uh, because, quite frankly, she and as much as it pains me to give him the credit, but I got to give it to him, Terry Doyle, uh, were my lifelines when I was starting out in this league because they seemed to me they were the most easily accessible people to find information from, certainly in the OHL. Nate Sager was always doing a great job too through Yahoo and et cetera. Anyway, not to get into all of that, we'll get to the guest in a second, but I do have a little bit more intel. So you and I are on the record now as saying there's a season, like something is going to happen. Oh yeah, right? it's happening. We're, yeah, we're you confident can't. in that. Yeah. We, we talked a little bit last week about what it's going to look like from a broadcast perspective. I got a little more intel on that. Thanks to the loyal OHL stories listeners for providing a little bit more detail, I think. And it makes sense to me. I'm, I'm not going to you know, say this is absolutely confirmed, but when we were talking about the broadcast and what it would look like last week, I, I wasn't really thinking about the bubble. I was thinking about, you know, what happens if you're in Owen sound, what happens when you're in Sudbury, all these different things. But if you think about the bubble scenario, which is almost certainly what's going to play out, it's going to be in buildings that are capable of hosting a variety of a number of teams in one place and this and that. And what's going to happen is the broadcasts will absolutely happen. It's just that the media and the players and team staff will be completely separate. So if you think of the Kingston's of the world, the Sault Ste. Marie's of the world, 
maybe the Kitcheners or Londons of the world. And we know the rinks well enough, Popey. That Interesting would, four cities you just mentioned, Michael. Yeah, well, you could, uh, you could easily, as a broadcaster, go in one door of that building right up to the broadcast area, stay there, and the players and team staff could do their thing at a completely different area of the rink, and there you go. So you have a broadcast crew in the broadcast area doing their thing. You've got players and team staff in the playing area doing their thing, and you're all set to go. I'm all, I get that. But again, I want to, I want to know selfishly say, let's take Sudbury for Sudbury, for instance, or Ottawa is the Ottawa radio team then going to drive back and forth to that hub city for every game they're playing, or are they going to go stay there? And then you have to get a hotel. And then anyway, that's that, going to be that, up to their broadcast side, right? employer. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and same with the television Who, who's calling these games, or is it just going to be a video feed? Because it, so is that hub cities, Rogers TV or uh, Shaw broadcast team then going to cover all the games or our TV crews uh, or play by play and color guys who in large part do it either volunteer or for very little pay expected to go back and forth to the hub city. Just so I'm sure again, it, I'm sure it's at the bottom of the league's list. Like it might even be under the footnotes, but I still am curious as to how that will play out. I think you'll call in a local crew, Popey. Whatever yeah. crew happens to work in the city where the hub is located, it's going to be doing a lot of work for a couple of months. That's what I think is going to happen. All right. That I sound I like... me knocking on wood. <laughs> I know why. I have a mortgage. I know why. All right. Uh, we uh, teased it a little bit already, but I love it when you set it up. So uh, put the tablecloth down, get the silverware out, okay. and set the table for this guest. From family from England – moving over to Canada, an import to this country, but boy, has she blazed a trail. There is no other way around it. She is a trailblazer, a trend setter. From the Toronto Star to Loose Pucks on Twitter, for everybody that remembers that, to Buzz in the Net on Yahoo, now at some uh, small operation called The Athletic. Uh, now moving into the editing basketball side, but one of the premier people to ever cover the Ontario Hockey League. And yes, again, I want to point out Trail Blazer. If you see it, you can become it. Sanaya Sapurji. All right. So true story to start OHL stories this week. And I don't mean to uh, put an age on our guest. So forgive me for that. But when I started covering the Ontario Hockey League, there were two people that I could read to get information, Terry Doyle and our guest this week, Sanaya Sapurji. Sanaya, I think I should give you credit or royalties for all of my pregame preparation back around 1999, 2000, because you were all I had. T- Toronto Star, Yahoo Sports, all that stuff was coming out, and it's all I could consume to know what I was going to talk about that weekend. I'll take a check, Mike. <laughs> it's in the mail. It's in the. Isn't that what I'm supposed to say? It's in the mail. <laughs> When I think back, though, on those days, Sanaya, like I'm, I'm breaking in and I, I don't want to like the Internet was around, but I mean, there, it was hard to come by stuff. So you were you were generating that content. Take take us back to the early days of covering this league and how difficult it was to source the information that you were gathering. Um, you know what? I think. It was, it was not too bad. Of course, there, there was the internet when I started at the start. 
Um, I'm not that old, <laughs> but um, you know, and I, I think the, the big difference back then was that um, newspapers and, and, you know, magazines and, and things like that actually um, focused on junior hockey. So there was um, kind of a, a need for it. There was a, a, a fan base that, that wanted it. There's a fan base that still wants it now, but I think the way um, the media has changed the space that you might once have had for it, you see places cutting back and that was not the case. Um, when I first started, we had a, at the star, we had a weekly um, OHL notebook um, that I did along with um, covering the, the GTA teams, um, Mississauga, um, Toronto, Brampton, and, and Oshawa. Um, they were kind of uh, the teams that I, I covered regularly. So it was actually, it was, it was, uh, it was not that difficult. You know, um, I had done some OHL stuff before when I was um, in university, um, working at, at the radio station there, a campus community radio station there. I did a, a weekly OHL show there. And so I knew I had contacts um, from, from before. Um, and so it, uh, it was, it was a good, it was good. I mean, we had a, a pretty good run at the star. And then when I went to Yahoo, that's all I did was junior hockey. So that was a, a bit um, different, just focusing on it pretty much 24 seven. But then at Yahoo, we did, we did the entire CHL. It wasn't just the OHL. So it was uh, a lot of expanded coverage and we, we had a great team there. Mike mentioned that Yahoo and you, you were really a pioneer in covering this league through, I think it was, was it buzzing the net? Is that what it was? Yeah, that was our, our blog, um, Nate Sager. And uh, we had uh, a bunch of people um, in the, in the queue. Um, we had um, Nathan White and Mike Sanderson. And then in, in the Western Hockey League, um, we had different writers there, Scott Sebich, um, Cam Schron, who is with the Leafs now, was, was part of our, our coverage at the time. Um, we just, we had a great group. That buzzing the net, I remember when I was in university uh, at the College of Sports Media in Toronto, I was writing for a website and helping edit the website called thegoodpoint.com, which has now gone on to basically run its own NBA fantasy league. But anyway, I remember we would send buzzing the net, our articles that we would write, like I went down to Windsor and interviewed Taylor Hall and we would send buzzing the net just in hopes that we could get a link drop in their annual weekly uh, links from around the CHL. Whenever we did, I remember my partner and I would call each other. We were like, we're on, we're on, we're on Yahoo. <laughs> so thank you. You're welcome. Nate put those together. <laughs> um, so he should get the credit for that. All right, so now we've determined about four minutes into this podcast that I owe Sanaya a check and Popey, you owe Nate a check. Yeah. Yeah, okay. They're all in the mail. <laughs> They'll come out when we get checks for this podcast. Uh, also thinking from the early days of covering this league, Sanaya, uh, you're, you're a woman trying to cover this league. I shouldn't say trying. You are covering this league, but that's something that we're only starting to see more of today, Chris and I. And, and we can probably find a woman covering the game or somehow involved in the game in every rink we go into. But I know when I started and I was reading your stuff, you were almost the only female voice. How aware of that were you at the time and how did it change the way you approached the job, if at all? Oh, I was super aware of it. <laughs> Cause there weren't, there weren't very many women and there were even fewer women who were minorities. 
Um, and so I think when I first started, there was um, one other woman uh, on the beat, and that was uh, Lisa Burke, who was covering the Ottawa 67s for a while. I, I can't, I don't remember how long she, she did it for, but um, she was there for a time as well. And then when Lisa left, I think I was the only one in the OHL for, for quite some time, especially in, in print. Um, but yeah, it was something that I was definitely aware of when I first started, um, you know, media were allowed to go into the, like the dressing rooms. And so, you know, <laughs> I remember like Don Brankley, when I would go to London would like, uh, just go, quickly go in, tell them I was coming in and then, you know, they would, they would be like, okay. And so, uh, you know, and then I would go in and talk to whoever I needed to talk to and, and get out. Um, it wasn't until later that they, they started bringing whoever you wanted out of the room. And then, um, you know, that's, that's one thing that, that changed later on. Um, it was much later after that. Um, but it was, it was definitely something that, um, you know, was, was very um, front of mind um, when I was covering the league, especially when I first started. Without having another woman covering the league to look up to, who in journalism did you look up to? Um, I was very lucky when I was at the Star. Uh, I got to work with uh, Mary Ormsby, who was a trailblazer herself. Um, you know, when I was working at the Star, she was the assistant sports editor there. And she's definitely somebody who I've always looked up to. Um, you know, another person um, in hockey was, was Sherry Ross, who uh, was doing play-by-play -play for the New Jersey Devils. And when the, the first time I ever went into a, a hockey dressing room, um, it was actually a, a Leafs, I was at a Leafs practice and I was like terrified. I had no idea what I was doing. I was still in university at the time. And um, Sherry was there. It was, um, they were playing the, the Devils later that, that night. Um, and uh, she kind of took me under her wing and took me into the dressing room and kind of gave me the lay of the land. Um, and uh, I was so grateful for that. Um, it, it really helped me out a lot. So she's definitely somebody who I looked up to as well and still do. Bluntly, Sanaya, considering, I mean, time goes by pretty fast. 20 years ago seems like a long time ago, but wasn't that long ago. How much did you face by way of sexism, racism, when you're trying to do your job 20, oh 25 years ago? It was brutal. I mean, I, I remember, well, I think especially the, the, um, the racism part, I think because my situation was, was unique, when I would get emails and things like that, I was never sure if they were angry at me because I was a woman or because I was a minority. Like, it was hard to differentiate. But I mean, um, like, I would get a, a lot of it. And I think at the time, um, when I was at the Star, I actually kept a folder of the, like, of the emails. And, and at that time, like, I think the, the readership was, was kind of um, older at the Star. And so I would get, like, things mailed to me. And so I would, I would keep those things. Um, and, you know, I always thought the, particularly the things that were mailed to me, um, like this person took the, not only took the time to write out 
like their racist, sexist rant, but they also like went and got a stamp for it and like went to the mailbox. Like that's actually, you know, it's a lot of time and they put a lot of thought into, into that. And so I always kept that stuff um, and, and looked at it occasionally just to, I actually used it as motivation and almost like a pick me up. Like, you know, I'm, I'm still doing this, you know, no matter what these people write or say. Um, but yeah, it was, it was difficult. And I mean, even at Yahoo, I would get that stuff, even at the athletic now, I, I mean, I still get that stuff. It's not like it's, it's magically disappeared, um, as time has, has passed. And I think one of the great things about, um, the star is that they allowed me to write stories about race. Um, and that wasn't something that a lot of places were, were tackling. I remember one of the first um, stories I, I ever wrote was about um, Kingston had uh, a player named uh, Derek Campbell. Um, and somebody had, uh, I think, called him um, the N-word or a monkey. It was, it was uh, one of the, the players on the Barry Colts. They had um, an import player. Um, who had who had said that to him, but because the officials hadn't heard, um, like nothing nothing was done about it, and so that was one of the stories they they let me write. You know, I wrote a lot about Trevor Daly and the John Van Beesburg incident when that happened, um, and so I was very fortunate in that I got to to write those stories because not a lot of people were doing those stories at that time. You mentioned those stories in 03, you wrote an article titled racism rampant in OHL. We just had, we just had the situation with Giovanni Smith just a couple of years ago up in Sault Ste. Marie. Do you still think it's rampant in the OHL? Uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it's pretty pervasive everywhere. I, I think, you know, it's, it's, uh, but I think it's, it's, it's still very prevalent in, in hockey. It's, uh, I think there are a lot of issues as to why that is. And I think, you know, there are um, economic issues that also play into that as well. Um, when you talk about um, accessibility issues um, and trying to, to grow the game um, to a, a larger audience. But I, I definitely think that, that it, that's still a big issue. What was it for you, Sanaya, that attracted you to not even so much the industry of sport, but the league, the Ontario Hockey League itself, as you were starting out? You know, I, as a kid growing up, I used to watch OHL Game of the Week um, with, with Sherry Bassett. It was on global TV, like every, I think it was like every Saturday afternoon, I want to say. And like, that was, I, I thought it was like the greatest thing in the world, you know? Um, and so uh, when I got um, a little bit, older um like my dad used to take me down to watch um marley's games um and so the thing about marley's games was you could go to a marley's game and then afterwards the leafs would practice and so you could see whoever the you could see the leafs practice and you could see whoever the leafs were playing against practice uh and so you know i would go and watch like the Red Wings practice or, you know, whoever else was down there after the Marlies game. And it would be like a, a whole day downtown at Maple Leaf Gardens, you know, watching hockey and um, NHL practice, which I thought was like the greatest thing ever. 
Um, so that's kind of how I got into it. Your your family came over from England, if I read correctly, mm-hmm. and your grandmother became a big fan of the Habs, even though she couldn't watch or, or sorry, couldn't understand or speak uh, French. How much did she influence your love of the game? Um, not that much because when she started like really getting into the Habs, um, I was already working. I was working part time at Global at Global TV, and so um, she would be watching the Habs while I was at work, waiting up for me to come home. I, I worked the four to midnight shift, um, and so uh, yeah, she. I think she liked the speed of it, and I think at that time the Habs were like a, a fast team. Um, and so I don't know why she just chose the Habs, but I guess it must have been on at the time um, on like RDS or whatever she was the you know, French CBC, whatever she was, she was watching it on. Um, so, yeah, um, it was it was weird that, that she liked the Habs, but that was her team because I wasn't a Habs fan. I wasn't I wasn't even a Leafs fan. So. Um, it was it was odd. I think that she picked the hats. You you had the opportunity, Sanaya, uh, to cover some of the giants of this game. We were talking about Larry Mavity just before we started recording here today. Uh, Bert Templeton, Dave McQueen, uh, Mike Felucci, and in, in in his years in Plymouth, I remember you and I have had many a chat about him. Brian Kilray goes without saying, et cetera. Uh, who are some of the characters that you remember, and what made them stand out? Well, I think the top of my list has to be Matt. Um, you know, when I started out, I um, he was somebody who was very kind. Um, you know, I, I remember when I when I was in university working at the radio station there. When I was doing my my weekly OHL show, one of the first um, stories I did. I, I was still a high school student at the at the time, um, but because it was a campus community radio station. Um, they would take volunteers in and I knew I was going to be going to York. So I figured I would uh, volunteer a year before um, I actually went to school there. And so when I was doing the OHL show, um, I decided to go down and um, interview a, a new kid they had in Belleville named Dan Cleary. And so um, I, I set it all up and I went down and um, Mav was just like, he, he didn't, he didn't, you know, he didn't care that I was, I was really young. He didn't care that I was like terrified. He didn't care that, you know, that I was a woman or that I was a minority. He was just like, what do you need kid? You know? And so he was just, he was just, he was awesome. And like, I, I thought like everyone in the league or everyone in hockey or everyone in sports was going to be that welcoming and, and awesome. And so he kind of tricked me in that way um, into thinking it was going to be an easy experience or, you know, a welcoming one. And so that's something that I, I never forgot. And so, um, you know, the other thing is when, when, you know, I covered a lot of Mavs teams in, in Belleville and, and in Kingston, um, like when it was time to, to, to you know, hold him to, to task or take him to task, like I did that and I always felt bad, but he never, he never really got, he was never really upset about it. Cause I, I think he knew what I was writing was like fair. And so, um, yeah, Matt is definitely at the, 
top of the list. Also, he just had the best stories. He was just the best guy. Um, but Killer has got to be up there too. If you're talking about Mav, you have to talk about Killer. Um, and and he he was you know he was also great, um, very welcoming. Um, also amazing storyteller. But there were just so many characters. I mean, Sherry Bassin, another awesome great guy with like stories. Um, Mike Bellucci was was definitely one, and also. Um, Pete, Pete DeBoer in, in Kitchener, not so much of a, uh, of a, of a character, but, but somebody who was always very thoughtful when you were talking to them. You know, he always had um, interesting things to say. Spent a lot of time covering Dave Cameron and his teams in, uh, in Toronto. So that was uh, another, another coach and GM I spent a lot of time talking to, but there were, there were many and definitely lots of characters, for sure. You had a tweet thread after Mav passed that I thought was just amazing. When you look back on your guys' relationship, is there one story that stands out from Mav? Because we talked about it before we started this podcast. Farwell and I really dropped the ball in not getting him on last year up in Kingston. So do you have a good Mav story for us? You know what? All of the stories, a lot of them I can't tell. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of them I can't tell, um, but I'll tell you this one, I guess, because I've told this story before. And Mav, I should say, Mav kind of hated this story <laughs> when I told it. <laughs> but he always he always called me like a, a smartass for for telling the story. But it was uh, it was the first time I ever went into like Mav's office. Like it was in the old. Yardman like in the, the arena in, in Belleville and it was like not a not a particularly big um office and it wasn't it wasn't like really neat or tidy or anything like that and the thing I remember most that pisses Mav or pissed him off when I would tell the story is that that there would be like cases and cases of beer and like I, I would have to like climb over these cases of beer in order to get into like the seat where I could where I could talk and like interview him. And so he always hated that because uh, of all the, the beer cases. <laughs> I remember, <laughs> love it. <laughs> I remember a series of stories you started to do about players off season jobs. And I absolutely loved it. What inspired it? And, and what do you remember might be one of the, the weirdest slash best summer or off season jobs that a player had? I can't remember how that started, but I remember um, the uh, the majors. The first one I ever did was a majors goaltender named Wayne Savage, um, and he worked in construction in the off season. And just going back talking about Mav, um, you know, he one of the things he mentioned was that when he was playing um, pro hockey. Um, that's what guys would do in the, the off season. Like there, there, at that time, there was no like training workout regimens with, with like trainers going to the gym or whatever. You, you got a job in construction and that was like your, your summer workout. Um, and so that's what, what um, Wayne Savage would do. Um, some of the other great jobs, there was a, a kid named Garrett Clark in the, um, 
in the queue in the Quebec League who was a um, bear hunting guide. And so like his job would be like putting like rotting meat into uh, like buckets and like leaving it out in the bush so that <laughs> they could attract bears. Um, yeah. So that was a, that was an interesting one. Um, I'm trying to think, oh, um, Kevin Bailey, I don't know if you remember him from the Oshawa Generals. He was a, a goaltender. He was a dishwasher at um, Eastside Mario's. I think it was, it might have been in Oshawa or Belleville. I can't remember where it was, but it was actually the Eastside Mario's where a lot of teams would go to eat. And so when he would go back, like, uh, to the restaurant he worked at essentially with the, with the generals, like they would make him special meals um, just because he worked there. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was a super fun, a super fun series that I did. Um, you know, a, a lot of guys just, they had really cool jobs too. Um, you know, there was a guy named Bo McHugh who played for the, he was captain of the um, Tri-City Americans um, he w worked on a ranch as like a, a kind of like a ranch hand taking care of horses and stuff like that. Um, so that was really cool. Like that, that was like one where I, I think I would like to, to do that. But like some of the other guys like worked in roofing and it was like very labor intensive. So those were kind of like some of the, the hard, the hard ones. I remember one kid worked in a bakery which was um, really difficult because he was trying to watch his weight um, and that was not conducive to, <laughs> to keeping his, uh, his weight down for uh, the start of the season, you know, eating all those cupcakes in the off season. So. Yeah. yeah. I couldn't imagine if Farwell and I worked in a bakery, it'd be even bigger than we are right now. Get it. I'd be done. <laughs> I remember, uh, former Rangers captain Liam Mascant started a landscaping business with him and his friend during yeah, the offseason. Ray, Ray, uh, Ray Huther, who, who um, I think he was with the Sudbury Wolves. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, uh, they started their own business doing odd jobs and stuff like that. Yeah. I remember, I think they had to, to clear out like uh, some sort of chicken coop with like a, like a bunch of chickens. I, I just remember the, the photo they sent me was like, of the two of them in like this barn or something and they're surrounded by like baby chicks like so yeah. so we we've had a ray we've had a liam i think we've mentioned a couple other names and i think i know or i think you know where i'm going with this your fascination <laughs> and i might be even compulsive disorder when it comes to names i don't want to ask how long it took you to come up with a name for your son but i can only imagine where did this love for different players names come from um you know what i think it was it, you know being someone with uh uh like a quote unquote different name um you know not an, an uh, unconventional name i uh, i think it's always been like i've always found like you know names and kind of the thought process that goes into you know your name and how you were named I've always found that that interesting and I don't know how it started in the Western Hockey League but um it's it's been ongoing <laughs> like it's, it's now at the point where I will actually take that day off of work so that I can focus um on <laughs> on seeing who gets drafted and you know um what they're 
what their name is. Um, but yeah, just naming, naming Charlie took a, a super, super long time because I wanted to make sure, like I looked at every single angle um, before, you know, giving him that, that name. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have it down to like a solid three and then, you know, over a couple of weeks, drop it down to two and then. No, you know what? Um, my, my husband and I, we, we came up with a girl's name like right away. And then a boy's name, we just went back and forth. And it wasn't until like the, the weekend um, before he, he came that, that we decided on um, what his name was going to be. So. Real, real quick, whether it's in the WHL or not, do you have a favorite major junior name that you've seen? Does one always stick with you? Um, you know what? I've, there are a couple. Um, probably one of my favorites, only just because I'm really big, being a Sanaya Supergy, I'm very big on alliteration. So um, there is a kid named uh, Shell Clampus. Um and so if you, if you see it written out, it's, it's really awesome because it's the KJ um, Clemhus. So, um, and then another kid whose name I've always loved was uh, Cruz Plummer. Cruz Plummer. You, yeah, but, but Cruz is spelled K-R-Z. Yeah, Cruz. I like it. Yeah. So yeah. that's always, I think that's my, I think Cruz Plummer is probably my most dub name. Like. I like it. I'm, okay. yeah. I'm trying to, rem- I'm trying to remember the backstory and I, and I can't, but I saw it come up on Twitter recently when you announced that you'd be leaving the hockey beat with the athletic and moving to the NBA, which again, just goes to show, you know, 20 years ago, I'm starting the OHL. I'm reading Sanaya's stuff. I'm still in the OHL. She's covering the NBA. Let that sink in for a second here. Just, just <laughs> to set the record straight, I'm not covering the NBA. I'm just, I'm editing, I'm editing the NBA. So okay, I'm taking sure. of our Raptors and Celtics coverage. I'm still going to be writing about hockey. Okay, thank but, goodness. But editing wise, I'm just moving to the, the NBA side. Tell Blake so, Murphy what's up. He's a good guy. A good guy. I know. Blake, He's Blake a good is guy. one of my guys. He's the yeah. best. He's a great guy. So it was asked of you on Twitter when this announcement was made that you were switching roles at The Athletic, if your Twitter background picture was going to change. And I'm trying to remember, is, is it got something to do with peanuts or peanut butter? I'm trying to remember all of the pieces here, but it's an awesome <laughs> picture. Check out at Sanaya Supergy on Twitter, but what's the deal? Yeah, so that's a photo of, of um, oh my gosh, I can't believe his name. I'm drawing a blank. And it, oh, Kirill Kavanaugh. Kirill Kavanaugh, um, who, uh, who played in, in the queue um, for a number of years, won the Memorial Cup with the, the Moncton uh, Wildcats, um, was drafted by the, the New York Islanders. Um, and there was, there were a couple of stories involving him. He was just, he was an amazing character. You want to talk about amazing characters? Kirill Kavanaugh was an amazing character when he was, when he was in junior hockey. Um, and so one of the stories is he was cut by the Russian national team um, because um, one of the coaches had some peanuts on his, his desk. And during like a, a, a meeting or whatever, um, Kirill took some of the peanuts and ate them like 
while, <laughs> while they were, while they were talking and the coach didn't like that. And he, he ended up getting cut. And then when he was with the, the Islanders, I think he, he famously, um, slept in and, and showed up late for practice, um, twice. So, um, yeah, Carol. Didn't he have that great photo from draft day or whatever? And he's like, <laughs> yeah. so that's, that's the photo that is, um, that is the background. On oh, gotcha. Somebody, I don't even know who did it, but somebody like superimposed that, uh, like at a, um, at a museum with like a dinosaur in the background. So, um, I just, I love that. Photo. <laughs> and so, and so I, that's just been my Twitter. That's been my background forever. Going from like newspaper and then you were doing the Yahoo stuff now to athletic who's kind of changing journalism in itself how was that transition um it's been it's been pretty um seamless um you know when I was at Yahoo it it was like a a digital space um working in online media and so um I think um the athletic is is no different um I was very very lucky when I was at Yahoo and that I worked for um, Steve McAllister, who was just an incredible boss and who let us um, do stories that we thought were important. And that's, I think, the same at The Athletic. Um, they give us um, a lot of, of leeway in, in, what we can con- in what we can cover. Um, and, you know, taking the time to tell stories well, um, I think is, is something that The Athletic really um, prides itself um, in doing. And, you know, I've definitely been able to, to do um, some of that work. Like, I mean, I, a couple of years ago, I wrote a 6,000 word piece on the relationship between punk rock and hockey. And there are not a lot of places where, you know, they're going to let me do that. Or, or the series that I did looking at development models in, in Europe, you know, or the U.S. Um, and Canada. Um, that was like a seven part series and there are not a lot of places that are going to, um, you know, let people do that kind of work. I just wanted to ask, cause I liked what the athletics doing. It's showing that there's still a spot for long form journalism online when it's not just like the, you know, hundred word blog post about Nylander's second shift. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Sanaya, if it was the wildest story or event that you covered when you were covering junior hockey or the most memorable, but you, you reshared a link to it many, many years later. And, and I saw the reshare of the link and I took it back to your original uh, piece about the 2000 Memorial cup. Take us back to that experience and what it was that you covered that made it so memorable and perhaps so wild. Um, I think that entire season, um, and we're talking about the Barry Colts in, yeah. in particular, um, that entire season from like literally from start, which started with a, um, a massive brawl against the, when they were playing um, the Oshawa Generals in the season opener, um, where there were like multiple um, suspensions, including, I think, a, a 15-game suspension and a 25-game suspension, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, it was a 25-game suspension. Um, and that was, like, the start 
of of the season and then it just it, it it kind of snowballed and continued getting like weirder and stranger and crazier until they eventually made it to the memorial cup um and it, it just it it never stopped being crazy that season for those who don't know the story around the 2000 memorial cup why didn't it stop being crazy um <laughs> there were many factors um but I mean, there were, um, you know, I don't know how much people remember about Dave Frost and kind of like the, the quote unquote cult that, that he had with, with some of the, the cults um, on that team. There was um, uh, Bill Stewart, who was the, the coach and, and general manager of the team at that time. Um, he ended up being um, suspended because he put one of their imports um, in the baggage compartment of their bus to go across the border because he didn't have the correct paperwork. Like those are just, you know, the, the kind of, of crazy things that that happened during that that season. You know, I remember um, there was a, a another player who ended up um, slew footing um, someone in the playoffs, he was like, um, it was uh, Ryan O'Keefe. He ended up getting a, a massive suspension that uh, that carried through most of the playoffs and he was able to play in the Memorial Cup after that. But like, I mean, so at once they actually got to the Memorial Cup, um, they they like walked out of the the banquet. They have a, a an opening kind of banquet for all of the teams. And because, because the, the league had um, sanctioned them so many times before, um, you know, leading up to the Memorial Cup, I guess they, they took it personally. And so they, they walked out of like the, the banquet and like Sheldon Keith uh, was the captain of the Colts at that time. I remember he refused to shake Dave Branch's hand and it just became a thing. And it was just, it was crazy. I, well, I think my, my, one of my favorite things about that Memorial Cup, which is just, it's hilarious, is that two of the Colts um, were busted. Two of the Colts rookies at, at that time were busted for trying to scalp their own Memorial Cup tickets. Like that's. <laughs> that's pretty <really> good. <laughs> That was probably like my my favorite amongst all the crazy things that that happened um, at that Memorial Cup in that season. That's that's probably um, one of my, my my favorites is that they were busted for scalping their own Memorial Cup tickets. Yeah. Sorry, Farsi, just real quick, one more on that Memorial Cup. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, did another media member leave you downtown Halifax? Oh, are you talking to, to me? Yeah. Yes, Terry Doyle abandoned me. We're, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get into the details. Of, oh, he was at that, the casino. That's what happened. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember. I I don't remember much about that night, so I will just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If if that year that Barry Colts team that Memorial Cup is the craziest and wildest that you remember from your time. What's the best team you remember covering? Oh, geez. Oh my gosh. That's, 
That's a really hard one. The best team. That's so hard, Mike, because there have been so many good teams, so many good players. Um, probably, probably that London Knights team with like Corey Perry. Um, I can't remember what year that was. My memory is shot now. Oh <laughs> five. Yeah, that's the team we always talk about too. It's hard to argue. Yeah, I think that that's probably that's probably the the best team. Um, but but there are many um, over the years that I've seen. Um, and you know what? And some really good teams that didn't do anything. Um, that that like never that never won anything that were shop that were stopped short um, from you know what they were expected. Yeah, Plymouth had some big teams back around the turn of the century. The the Rangers obviously had some nice runs in 03 and 08. That Peterborough team of 06 was strong. Yeah. Yeah. You, and lots, you, of, lots of good players, too. That's, I think, that's probably <clears throat> my favorite thing about covering junior hockey is, is getting to see players like, like John Tavares and, you know, um, Connor McDavid before they – before they make it to the NHL and become big stars, Nathan McKinnon, you know, you, you get to talk with them. There are no media people like looking at their watch saying, okay, you've got, you've only got five minutes. Like, let's wrap this up. Um, you know, you, you get a chance to meet their families. You know, it's uh, I think that's probably my favorite part is you actually get to meet them as people before they become, you know, big celebrities or NHL pros. You wrote a piece about the passing of a uh, OHL legend before my time. Sorry, guys. Um, before I started covering the league anyway. Uh, Jerry Callahan, what do you remember about the commish? Oh, my God. The commish was – you want to talk about a character? The commish was was awesome. He, he was so much fun. He was – I don't even know what his official title was, but if you went to Brampton, he was like – he was like the guy you had to see if you needed anything. The commissioner was the guy um, you went to, and he would always um, he would sit and he was the guy you would get your media package from. Um, and when I would go down there, he would always autograph my media package, like to Sanaya, like best wishes, love the commish. <laughs> he was just he was the he was the best he had the best stories he he had um he had gone to see um Johnny Cash he was like a huge massive Johnny Cash fan he had seen him a number of times including um the show I think it was in London Ontario but I might be mistaken where um Johnny Cash proposed to to um June Carter that was London yep yeah, June Carter Cash eventually. Um, and so, you know, he just had the best, um, the best Johnny Cash stories. Like he had, I think, befriended Cash to the point where um, he would go and if he was in the, you know, making a trip to, to Tennessee, he would go to um, the Cash re- residence and like, you know, pop in and say hello. Um so he, he just had, he had the best stories when it came to like Johnny, anything Johnny Cash related, you could ask the commish and uh, 
and he would know. But he was just, he was a wonderful, wonderful man. Um, and uh, just a, a great guy. Um, and one of like the reasons like he would love going to, to watch Brampton or going, you know, would go to Brampton would be to see the commission. Well, now that you mentioned Brampton, as soon as you mentioned it before, I thought of Stan Butler right away, whose name is synonymous with the battalion organization. And that's probably a story, Sanaya, of a team that was really damn good that didn't quite make it over the hump. But Chris and I caught Stan, I think, at a, I don't know if it was a weak moment or just the right time of day when we were in North Bay a couple of years back. And we got a real nice uh, amount of time to sit down and Stan was just in a very talkative mood. What are your memories of, of covering him and, and dealing with him? Yeah, Stan was always, uh, Stan was always good. We always had a, a good relationship. Um, I think it was, it was difficult in Brampton given their arena situation. Um, I think that was always like, that was always never going to work. And I think the OHL made such a big mistake um, in expanding when they expanded in the GTA of putting those two teams, um, you know, five, five kilometers apart in, uh, in Mississauga and in Brampton. I think if, if maybe they had rethought that and just had one kind of Peel region team, um, they would have found success um, in that area. Um, but that was just, uh, that was just kind of, it was kind of sad, um, especially when they eventually moved to, to North Bay. I know they had some really great diehard fans in, in Brampton. Um, and so that was, that was kind of sad to, to see them go. I'm going to ask you a question I've asked others on this podcast, and Mike and I have talked about it at length. Do you think the OHL needs a team in the GTA? Do they need a team in the GTA? Um, I would say I would say yes, but is it viable in the GTA? I I don't think so. I think those are two very different things. Um, I think um, you know from a from the standpoint of of having kind of like that that marquee of of being in the GTA would be nice for the league, but given given you know the the amount of of other things going on i junior hockey is a tough sell in the in the gta as we've seen over the years and over the the number of of teams that have that have been here um it's it's been hard you you need deep pocket owners that's for sure we see it in mississauga every season i think the most attendance we saw was during that snow game mike (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's Remember? right all the kids were off and they parents still brought them to the rink because they were counting on them being at the game <laughs> <laughs> you know we talk about covering this game and you, you do it and, and Sanaya, you talked about how you kind of fell in love with the game as a kid watching the ohl game of the week on saturday afternoons uh, and and listen it's it's a great gig but there's not a ton of glamour. Like when you go into these rinks, and that's fine, but when you go to these rinks, the media room might be an old dressing room. The, the press box, if there is one, might or might not in the modern day have Wi-Fi or if you're in Owen Sound, you're lucky to get any kind of internet signal where we are in the booth. What were, what were some of your experiences being in a building trying to do your job given the conditions that we sometimes encounter? Oh my god, it it was like archaic 
like when you when you think about it it now um you know i spent a lot of time covering hockey in the old saint mike's arena which was not an ohl facility you know i mean it's it's a it's a nice rink it's a great community rink it's a great like high school hockey rink it's it's perfect for that but for the ohl no like i mean you you know like they there was no press box it was like a metal scaffolding that you you sat um on and um like for the the print media um i think you guys the the broadcast media were were in the center um like at at the uh where the the face-off circle would be um at the center of of the uh, of the rink and we were in a corner um and and it was a scaffolding that you had to like climb up it was like a, a ladder it wasn't even stairs it was like a ladder that you had to climb up and like kind of contort your body to get into um and before they had the netting up like that was like a death trap for in the, the pre-game warm-up because um like pucks would be flying up there and you, you couldn't really see if you weren't paying attention like it was pretty dangerous and i remember one time before they had the nets up um the uh, Oshawa Generals came to town and Nathan Horton in the pregame warmup ripped one off of the crossbar and it, and it came up to where um, I had a hot chocolate in a styrofoam cup. It hit the hot chocolate and it literally exploded. And I was like, like not happy. And all I could hear, all I could hear was sorry <laughs> from the ice level. <laughs> that's brutal it was it was awful but that was also the that was also the press box where um where they once had a raccoon in the uh in the press box during um like before in the pregame um i remember i was coming down early in the ohl if you go like 90 minutes before a game like you can go and interview people if you if you need them and i was doing a story on Cody Bass, who was playing for the, the Ice Dogs at the time. And um, as I was walking around the, the concourse, um, I saw the major's PR guy and he kind of stopped me and he said, whatever you do, don't go into the press box because there's a raccoon there. <laughs> and I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, we've called animal services, but they're not here yet. So whatever you do, don't go up there because it's like angry and it, we, we don't want it to, to move because then we won't know like where, where it goes. So I was like, okay, fine. And so I find Cody Bass where we're at the, the bottom, like a, at rink level. And St. Mike's, if you if you haven't been there, it's like a very it's a very small arena. It's not like one of these modern um, arenas. You can pretty much see everything from from any angle. Um, and so I'm interviewing Cody Bass, and um, the way I'm facing, I can see the press box um, where the raccoon is. And so by now, animal services has come, and I can see them trying to like trying to, to pin this raccoon in and try and get him in this, this cage that um, they've brought. And all of a sudden the raccoon breaks, breaks free and 
like jumps up onto the the netting and I'm like oh and so we had to stop the interview and like Cody like turned around and we're both watching like animal services trying to corral this this raccoon um before the game starts and so uh eventually they they got it and they took they took the raccoon out of our press box but but yeah I mean that was that was almost like a, a regular occurrence at St. Mike's like they would lose power all the time um like one time they they lost power because like a, a squirrel had chew, chewed through like some some lines and stuff like that so they, they had to reschedule they had to reschedule a game we used to do our interviews in um we called it the boiler room and like I think that's what it was because it was like extremely hot in that room and so um it was just like this this room where they had like all this kind of machinery in there and like when I first started like there was the internet was was over phone lines and so they only had two phone lines that we could use in the whole rank for like maybe four or five reporters and so um one of the phone lines was just hanging from the ceiling, like near near the uh, Zamboni entrance. So like you would have to like hold your computer and have it connected to this this like phone jack in the ceiling while you were uploading your your story and like make sure you don't get run over by the Zamboni like while while you're doing that. So. See, I. I wasn't that far off before when I talked 20 years. People don't realize 20, 25 years ago, the internet was barely a thing. Okay. You had to plug it into the wall. People. That's what happened to folks like Sanaya and I. That <laughs> raccoon was probably scared because he saw a bass at ice level. I'm sorry. <laughs> I am sorry. I take that back. You should. That's bad. Um, you mentioned <laughs> the internet just getting underway. I don't, I think enough time has passed that we can say that you were one of the people behind loose pucks. Is that oh, yeah. fair? Yeah. Okay. What What yeah. was it like trying to? Because I remember following loose pucks and being like, "These guys know trades before they're going to happen. These guys are so connected." How challenging was it back then to get the information that you were quote unquote breaking? <laughs> it was so much fun. Um, I would I remember, I would go down to to Sarnia and I would go to to Terry's house, Terry Doyle, who did we did loose pucks together. Um, and we would just sit in his like office basement and like be, be calling and texting people like constantly. Um, but it was, it was great. It was so much fun. I really enjoyed um, trade deadline. Um, I remember, I think it was, uh, well, actually I shouldn't say who it was, but like they, they would always get angry because I would be, I would be like calling while, while they were trying to get a deal done. <laughs> So they'd be like, I promise, like, you will be the first person I tell as soon as it's done, but don't call me for like another two minutes. So yeah, it was, it was so much fun. It was a lot of fun. That makes me think back to when you were telling the story earlier, we were talking about the players off season jobs and Liam Maskant and, and Ray Heater are sending you pictures of what they were doing. And, you know, you're talking to a GM who's in the midst of a deal. Did you find Sanaya? Because I'm not so sure anymore that they're they were willing. They they want the coverage. They're they're interested in having somebody ask about the things that they're doing. Because I I'm I'm starting to think it's less like that now than perhaps it used to be. But I could be wrong. I I think it 
is only because I don't think the coverage is the same anymore. You know what I mean? Like there aren't, like, are, are there many or any um, major newspapers covering the, the league now? Like the, the star, the sun, they, there used to be regular coverage in the star and the sun. Like I remember the Canadian press used to send someone to like every, every game. And that's kind of been dialed back um, too. And I think it's just pretty much local coverage now it's it's not so much one person um you know doing the entire league and kind of having that overview of of everything versus just one beat person um just looking after their their own team and i mean even even some of the the local coverage has been diminished over over the years i think the teams that still have local coverage print coverage are are very lucky i know in Kitchener, you're so lucky to have Josh. Um, he does such a, a great job with the, the Rangers. You've obviously covered a lot of fun stories in this league, but you've also covered some of the black eyes, if you will, that this league has. We won't get into them, but from like hazing to player recruitment to draft manipulation and stuff. Did did you ever get any or did you ever feel any negative backlash from the league after covering some of those? Um not so much from the league, I don't think. But I remember the first time, like, from the, the league talking. When I say the league, I, I mean, like, from from Ted Baker or, or David Branch, like, the actual OHL. But um, I remember the first time I ever wrote about Don Cherry not being a good coach um, when he was coaching – the Mississauga um, Ice Dogs. That was the first time I really, like people were angry. And there were like other people, it, it, was, it, was, it was strange because there were, there were some people in the, in the league who were like, thankfully somebody finally s- said it, like he's, he's not a good coach. It's kind of not even his full-time job really. Um, and there were other people who were like, how could you do that? The man is like an icon. And so it was kind of, of mixed, but the, the backlash was, was really bad. Was it worse or better than the backlash you got when you wrote the article? It's time to say goodbye to Don Cherry. And then he was fired about two days later. Um, no, it was, it was, I, I think the first time was, was, was way worse. Like it, it's not even um, comparable. Like that was really bad. Like I had, um, you know, I just, uh, I just remember there was, there was one um, general manager who I really respected and he was, he was pretty upset that I had um, written that. And so, you know, I said, well, is it true? And he couldn't, he, you know, he, there was nothing he could say, like, because it, it was. And so, um, yeah, that was, that was, that was a rough one. Like, and I was still, I think not, not early in my career, but not, uh, not super late into it either. The, the, um, the column I, I wrote about saying it's time to say goodbye to him was, uh, that was more, I think, fan, fan backlash you know he's always going to have his 
his core audience. And that's fine. Like, you know, um, you can watch and read and, you know, listen to whatever you want to. Um, you just don't have to do it at a, you know, public broadcaster. Um, but that, that backlash from, was, was mostly fan backlash. And that doesn't really bother me much anymore. <laughs> I know, Sanaya, that there is, uh, there's a long road still ahead for you in, in sports journalism. But have you ever allowed yourself the moment to, to look back at the, at the trail you've blazed for other women, other racialized women? in sports no no well you should (laughs) i I got a five-year-old my i am too busy to look back at at all of that stuff i mean it's it's really cool like sometimes sometimes i'll I'll think about like some of the the crazy shit i've seen over the years and i'll be like wow that was really crazy (laughs) but i don't i don't actually spend a lot of time um you know, thinking about it or, you know, I'm too busy worrying about what comes next. Um, especially in this, in the crazy industry that we're, that we're in, there isn't too much time to stop and smell the roses. What was going through your mind in the moments after the Oshawa generals won the Memorial cup, the most recent one, and you're about to walk out onto the ice, but you're also carrying child. so so the funny thing about that is 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 i also covered um when they won the the ohl final um i was i was also i was also covering that and i was also um pregnant at that time about five months pregnant and so um it was it was fine there was no problem because as you know like um the ice is all chewed up it's it's not slippery when you're walking on it after a team has played, you know, 20 minutes of, of hockey. Like there's, there's no way you're going to slip and fall unless there's water there and it's slippery. So it was like no problem. And so at the Memorial cup, however, they had gone into overtime and I think it was Anthony Sorelli. I think he scored like maybe a, a minute and, and changed into overtime. And so it had just been flooded essentially. And it was slippery. It was ice, ice. And so I had seen um, people um, wipe out who were going on the ice before me. And so I'm five months pregnant at the time. And I'm like, I, I cannot do this. Like, but I, have to, but I have to also do my job. Like, how am I going to do this? And so I found uh, Fody Sotoropoulos, who, uh, who was running communications for the queue at the time. And I was like, Fody, you're going to have to help me out. Like, I don't know how I'm going to get out there because I don't want to fall, but I also have to do my job. And so um, he's like, okay, come on, I'll take you out. And so he brought one of his, his um, interns and the two of them like took, you know, one arm and helped me, helped me like shuffle out to the ice because they, they had a uh, carpet there. And so they kind of just planted me on the uh, red carpet that was used to, for the, um, the trophy presentation. And then afterwards, it was um, one of the, the players, um, oh geez, with, his nickname was the Big Rig, oh, Hunter, Hunter Smith. Um, he went out and like did me a solid and he was like, who do you need? And so um, he went out and got whoever I needed. Um, and would like 
drag them over to my, uh, my little spot on the carpet and I could interview them um, that way. And so that's how I was, I was able to work. And then after it was over, one of the players helped me um, just get to like the penalty box where I could get out from the, the back door um, into the ice, off the ice. So it was, uh, that was, I don't want to say fun because it was definitely not <laughs> fun, but at least I, I got it, I got it done. So. Serena may have won a U.S. Open pregnant, but she didn't have to walk on ice to do it. Oh, she just walked on water. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, that was pretty crazy. Like, I was like, how am I going to do this? Like, it was dread. Like, when they scored, that was, like, the first thing that popped into my mind. It was like, oh, my God, how am I going to do this? <laughs> so, now, it's, uh, it's great to get this chance to catch up and, and share these stories. And the fact that you're still – answering junior hockey guys phone calls when you're a big shot at the athletic is really cool of you. I want you to know. No, anytime <laughs> I junior hockey is like my first love. It will always be my love. And so um, I'm always happy to talk about it. Always happy to cover it. Real um, quick, real quick. And sorry, sorry to interrupt. I know one last question, then we can get into the, how great this was. Um, <laughs> Cause of course it was great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big proponent and now more than ever, I think, um, if you see it, you can become it. How important is the association for women in sport media to you? I know you're part of that. Um, really, really huge. Um, that is something that I really believe in. I've been a a member, um, for many years now. Um, and I think they, they do an amazing job of, of helping women, um, navigate, um, sports media, on the journalism side, but also on the, the PR side and beyond. Um, and I think, um, you know, more organizations like that have been um, really instrumental in getting more women into the business. And that's just going to be instrumental in getting more Sanayas onto this podcast in the uh, months <laughs> and years ahead, because that's what it's all about. Uh, thanks again for doing this. It really has been a lot of fun. We didn't even talk about T-Bird. I said, <laughs> <laughs> I knew there had to be a reference at some point. That's all he's going to get. And I'll bring him on himself at some point. <laughs> Is he going to be on? Yeah, we got to get him on. He says that we have to get you. Okay. You be the judge, Sanaya. He says we have to get Crupper on first. Why Crupper? I, you tell me. This is what he keeps telling me. So if you get T-Bird on, I don't know if you can, if you can actually um, use, like, if you can actually use this, um, but, but if you get him on, you're going to have to ask him about that, the, the oh, fight. Oh, don't worry. I will. Because I know about the fight, but nobody has come clean on the fight publicly yet. Maybe, maybe this will be the forum. My favorite thing about the fight is the fact that the OHL had an investigation into it, <laughs> yes. and it was inconclusive. Like, how do you have how do you have coaching staff from two teams involved in a brawl in which someone is injured, and and it's inconclusive? It's the code. It's the code. It's the code of silence. Because uh, yeah. I yeah, I've been told by the actual. Uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, in this case the assailant yes what happened and anyway all we know is the wrong people might have taken the fall
Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamscore.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.